today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. An immature believer could be an old believer and yet still immature. They could have, again, committed their life to Christ years ago, but never grown in their faith. That's why several times within the New Testament it speaks about, hey, by now you ought to be teachers. But I still need to feed you as a babe. You know, I still need to give you milk instead of meat. Why? Because they weren't maturing in their faith. Aren't you glad we don't have that problem today? I mean, we have so much available to us today. I mean, through the internet, through books, through television programs, radio programs, man, every one of us ought to be really mature in the faith. Amen? Believers in Christ should constantly be growing in their faith. If we're not growing, we are stagnant or sliding backward, and the enemy will get a foothold. He wants nothing more than for us to stray from Christ and doubt our beliefs. In today's message, Pastor David reminds us that we have no excuse in today's world. We have Bible teaching resources at our fingertips through the internet, the library, and our churches. Is your faith growing and deepening? If not, ask yourself, why not? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, In That Day. Second Thessalonians was probably written not too far or not too long after First Thessalonians was sent out. Paul is dealing with, um, yeah, a couple of new issues, but he's also bringing some clarification on some of the stuff he also stated in the first book of Thessalonians or the first letter to the, to the church there in Thessalonica. The understanding that we get just from the context of this very short letter, it's only about three chapters long, probably when they sent the letter of First Thessalonians to the church there, uh, that, that another message came back to Paul about the status of the church and some other questions that they might have had, maybe even arising from his first letter, because again, the way that he responds back and forth to them. When we look at this, again, there's some hints in this letter that there still continues to be this this question about the last days, about, again, the second coming of Christ. Some are saying that he's already come, and he still deals with that here in Second Thessalonians. Paul dealing with those issues as well as the fact that it seems as though someone is trying to pass off some letters that says that they're from Paul, but they're actually forged letters because Paul is having to deal with that throughout uh, this letter. And as a matter of fact, before we get deeper into it, uh, take for a moment, if you would, there in Second Thessalonians, turn over to chapter 2. Well, it's probably on the same page. Look at chapter 2, uh, verse 2. These are short chapters. And as a matter of fact, I pondered the fact of just reading the whole book to you. Uh, it's only about six and a half minutes to read through it, but uh, to get the context, but we won't this morning. 
Uh, in, in second chapter of second Thessalonians, verse two, Paul tells him, uh, to not be too, or not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. One of the things that we know when we study the life of Paul that nearly in every letter that he wrote, he used a secretary or, or a clerk or a personal assistant to, to actually write the letters for him. Uh, and yet because some of these individuals, uh, some other individuals have been coming in with, with differing letters, with differing statements, trying to pass them off as if Paul had written them, uh, in order to preserve the authenticity of these letters, Paul had taken to signing the end of them with his own hand. Again, that clerk or that secretary writing the letter itself, but then Paul at the end signing with his own hand. Look there in chapter 3, pretty close to the very end, verse 17. He says, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. In other words, you see my signature. We find the same thing in other letters. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the end there, he says, this salutation or this greeting with my own hand, Paul's. Colossians is another good example. Colossians chapter 4, verse 18. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. And then there he says, remember my chains, grace be with you. Now getting back to the letter itself this morning, this whole issue of the Lord's return was paramount on the minds of the Thessalonians. This was something that they were thinking about quite a bit. There was an anticipation for them. When is he coming? Has he already come? As we see again the statements that Paul writes in both of these letters. What happens again when he comes? How is that all going to work out? And then there's, there seems to be a question too that we'll look at here in Second Thessalonians is what happens if Paul was wrong about the second coming? If he was wrong about the second coming, can we really trust him in any of his other letters? So this is a pretty major deal, some serious stuff that Paul is having to deal with here. There, these believers there in Thessalonica, they're still rather young believers. They're, they're very susceptible to persuasive words and these mannerisms, these, this charisma of these false teachers that come in. So here in Second Thessalonians, Paul's going to lay out to them that there's certain events that need to take place before the Lord's second coming. Here again in Second Thessalonians. This is where we get our clearest understanding about the events that will lead up to those final days of great tribulation coming upon the world. It's here in Second Thessalonians that we learn about a time of this falling away that's going to take place and then that man of lawlessness that's going to be revealed. And by the way, uh, along with passages from the Old Testament, as well as the lessons that we learn from the book of Revelation, we know that this man of lawlessness is none other than the one that's known as the Antichrist. And so, again, we're going to be dealing with those issues as we go through the book. We also understand that Paul had shared with the church there at Thessalonica while he was with them 
that that time of revealing of this man of lawlessness, the revealing of the Antichrist, isn't going to come until the one who restrains him is taken away. Look with me here in chapter 2 again, down in verse 6. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. In other words, the Antichrist is being restrained. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Oh, man, we're going to have fun when we get to this section, okay? Uh, they're, they're, they're so rich and so deep, and I think it's so appropriate for our understanding today. But first and foremost, Paul wants to be certain that the church, the the believers there in Thessalonica, that they're standing secure in their faith and they're faithful in their commitment until the time of the Lord's return. In other words, the perseverance of the saints to maintain their love, their commitment to the Lord until his coming. Now, we find out really quickly here that the church in Thessalonica was not unlike churches, other churches of their day, and I say even churches of today. It's made up of men and women just like you and I, all of us dealing with these real-life issues and at the same time having a desire to live our lives for the glory of the Lord, living our lives with as a demonstration of our love for Jesus Christ right in the midst of a pagan culture. Yes, our culture a post-Christian, if you would, culture, society that we live in today. How do we maintain that commitment to the Lord, that love and that devotion to the Lord, when it seems like everything around us is pushing us the other way? Many believers, particularly new believers and, and, and immature believers. Now, you know there, the difference between a new believer and an immature believer. An immature believer could be an old believer, and yet still immature. They could have, again, committed their life to Christ years ago, but never grown in their faith. That's why several times within the New Testament it speaks about, hey, by now you ought to be teachers. I still need to feed you as a babe. You know, I still need to give you milk instead of meat. Why? Because they weren't maturing in their faith. Aren't you glad we don't have that problem today? I mean, we have so much available to us today. I mean, through the internet, through books, through television programs, radio programs, man, every one of us ought to be really mature in the faith. Amen? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't very strong. <laughs> yes, we have a lot of opportunities, but not all avail themselves of all those opportunities. So yeah, even today in 2018, we have believers who may have made a commitment of their lives decades ago, and yet they're still babes in Christ, still needing the the first things. Well, let's go back. Let, let's start at the beginning of the book. That's actually a pretty good place to start. And uh, as Paul brings his second letter to the Thessalonians, uh, we see that this letter is sent from 
Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, uh, the same ministry team that sent out the, the first letter. And no doubt, uh, Paul is the author of this letter. He's got his name listed first. At the end, he, he signs the letter, but he's sending it out in harmony. He's sending out in agreement with the rest of the co-laborers together in the ministry. So verse one here, we look and he writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I shared with you at the beginning of our study in First Thessalonians, this, this one here that's listed as Silvanus, that's the same one that we know as Silas. Luke, in writing in the book of Acts, lists him or calls him Silas, Paul, in all of his writings, calls him Silvanus. It's the same thing as if your name is uh, Robert and they call you Bob, that kind of an idea that, again, yes, he has his formal name, but he also has a shortened version, the same guy, uh, same man known by different versions of his name. Now, Silas or Silvanus began traveling with Paul after what's known as the Jerusalem Council that was found in Acts 15. Remember, it was right after that time that Paul and Barnabas did not see eye to eye with taking John Mark on this second missionary journey. And again, the word says that they got to in such a disagreement that they decided as brothers in Christ, look, you go that way, I'll go this way, Lord bless you, but we're not in 100% agreement. So how can two walk, you know, in agreement or walk hand in hand unless they be in agreement? So they divided, they went off separate ways. It's at that time that Paul took Silas or Silvanus with him on on that second missionary journey. Then during that second missionary journey, they came, uh, they met with and, and, and encouraged this young believer by the name of Timothy, a young man, new, he's not new in the Lord. He came to Christ again, probably years before that. But now Paul is taking him along with them on the second missionary journey. It's believed that Silas was uh, eventually became the pastor of the church or the overseer of the churches in Corinth. And later we also, we do know for certain that Timothy was appointed the pastor or the overseer over the churches of Ephesus. So both of these men, we know a little bit about their their strength and their walk with the Lord. Now, Paul's standard greeting here, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's used in nearly every one of Paul's letters. Grace, and we've spoken about this multiple times, but once again, it is that unmerited favor of God that comes to all that receive his forgiveness. It's the Greek word charis. And it has that meaning of, of, of a gift, of an unmerited favor or gift that's given. Throughout all of Paul's writings, we find that charis is used in the context of that work of God, the work of God within our life that provides for us and secures for us our redemption. We understand that when God offers his grace, that that grace is more than sufficient 
for all of our needs. His grace is sufficient to cover all of our sin. It's not that he offers grace and then we've got to do the rest of the work ourselves. No, we come by faith to receive that completed work of grace, that gift of God, the forgiveness of our sins. And it is very much along the line that if I offered you a gift, the gift is there It's yours to receive. Again, no ties, no strings to it. I offer you this gift, but it doesn't really become yours. What? Until you receive it. And God's grace is being offered and given out to mankind, but it is only effective to those who receive it, to those that receive it. Paul's epistles and his letters, uh, again, uh, particularly we, we find in several of them, uh, for instance, in Romans and Ephesians, other locations, makes it very clear that this grace is what we need within our lives in order to be saved, that by grace we're saved. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, what does it say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The next verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, familiar verses to many. Go ahead. What is it? For by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, unless I can boast about it. Hey, I, I, I got saved last week. I did enough good works that I believe I finally made it. I finally tipped over the scale. My goodness is better than my badness. No, that's not how it works. God isn't keeping that score along that line. It is the grace that's been freely given, not by any works that we've done. It's when we have come to receive that grace. It's then, it's only then that we can truly have the completeness of the peace of God. You notice grace comes first and peace. Paul writes it that way, but it's also that way in our lives. Until I receive and know the grace of God in my life, I will never know the peace of God in my life. For the believer, once we've entered into that grace of God, we need to understand that the world itself, the world itself takes on a totally different essence. A totally different standard and, 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 and literally existence for you and I as believers. With the presence and the knowledge of God actively at work within our lives, we can live, yes, in this fallen world with all of its struggles, with all of its battles, and yes, in the midst of that, we can have peace. When I come into the grace of God, receiving the peace of God, this world is no longer the same. Grace and peace from God brings to you and me the ability to be able to stand tall when everything around us has fallen. It gives to us the ability to stand firm when the whole world is shaking. It gives to us that capability to stand fast when the world itself is moving faster and faster away from the will and the plan and the purposes of God. We're able to stand fast, stand firm, 
stand tall. Why? Because of the grace of God working the peace of God within our lives. Beloved, as you and I grow in our commitment, our devotion, our knowledge, our love for, and our submitting, our submitment to the Lord, those things become true in our lives. As we mature in Christ, those things become more real in our lives. The grace and the peace that comes from God our Father also comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, as he says. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't and it actually couldn't come any other way. In other words, if it comes from God, you know that it's coming to us according to God's word. It's coming to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, again, is the one who brings that to us as we've submitted, committed our lives to him. And if it's coming from the Lord Jesus Christ, it comes in the full harmony and under the absolute authority of God the Father. God the Son, God the Father, working in harmony together. You understand, don't you? They cannot ever be exclusive of each other. I love how I I, I hear people say sometimes, you know, that God of the Old Testament, I really don't like him. I like Jesus in the New Testament. God in the Old Testament, he just seems so harsh and, and brutal and cruel. Oh, but Jesus of the New Testament, he's the one that's love and he's compassion. See, the problem is, is they don't understand. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And again, if you only see a brutal and an angry God in the Old Testament, then you've not read the Old Testament enough. You need to get back and also see the greatness of the compassion, the greatness of the long suffering that God had with his children that he called, not because of them, but in order to make himself known literally to the world. Now, same God, God the Father, God the Son working in harmony and in perfect agreement with each other. As we get into this letter, we see Paul begins by offering this commendation or this encouragement to the Thessalonians because of their faith, because of their walk in Christ. Look down in verse 3. In verse 3 we find, as Paul writes, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, As it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you always abounds toward each other. This is very similar to the same thing he told them in 1 Corinthians. Remember the report came back from Timothy. Hey, they are doing great. They're growing in their faith and their love is is, is known all around the area. Well, Paul is blessed by this and he continues to encourage them. But here he writes, we are bound to thank God. In essence, what he's saying is, man, I have a moral obligation as I look at you guys and I see what God is doing in your lives to give thanks to God because of what's happening in your lives. It's an obligation first and foremost to God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ for the work that had been done within the lives of the Thessalonians. Paul knew with, with, without a doubt it had been the work of God in their lives and not simply the, the, the persuasive words of some man. 
some guy with a lot of charisma, you know, a lot of dynamics to, again, persuade them to come. No, he knew that it was God looking and there are working within their lives. Let's face it. Man can be persuasive at times. Man can come and, and, and he can, again, talk people into taking a different route and going a different way in their life. Man can come and stir up emotions to cause people to change their minds. Man can come in and cause people to make decisions that they might not have made otherwise. A man comes in in the flesh of a man with charisma, with influence or persuasive words so often can get people to do things that perhaps they wouldn't do otherwise. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Living a life that honors God sounds good in theory, but it's difficult in practice. The more we strive to please Jesus with our words and works, the more the enemy will try to pull us off our path or set up roadblocks of discouragement. What we need at these times is perseverance, and that's what we learn from the book of 2 Thessalonians. We hope that as Pastor David continues to study this New Testament letter, you find your faith renewed and your courage strengthened. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you can do so at our website, theopenword.com. Just click on Teachings. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. And here to bring you a personal invitation to join us is Pastor David. Oh, absolutely. We here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande, we've got a seat waiting for you at our worship services. Come by on Saturday or Sunday or even Wednesday if you like. And we guarantee you'll meet some smiling faces and discover more about Jesus. We're nothing special as a church, just a diverse group of Jesus-loving people who delight in the challenge of the truth of God's Word. Come as you are, you'll fit right in. You'll be able to find out more about us when you visit our website, theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. That website again is theopenword.com. Just follow the link to our church's homepage. That's all we have time for today. But be sure to join us again for more insights into the book of 2 Thessalonians right here on The Open Word. 